Blue foul will take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! Gets by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose and it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to four yard line. A turnover and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh, there's Lindsay. He's gone. Lindsay's gone. Montez with all kinds of time. Here's back, rifles it downfield. Shea Fields on the left shoulder makes the grab. Runs away from a defender at the 10. Into the end zone. Big play, Shea. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, back with Tyler Ziskin for a special football mailbag podcast. Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by EverPillow from Infinite Moon. It's ever customizable, ever comfortable, and everything you want in a pillow. They did their research and sourced the best natural materials for you for the best price. Oh, and it's ridiculously comfortable. When your new EverPillow arrives, it will come with a drawstring bag to store your extra fill, so you can customize the loft and shape to give you the perfect spinal alignment. Why not customize your pillow and say goodnight to kinked necks and morning aches and pains? EverPillow, made by us, perfected by you. Use GoBuffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. Go to InfiniteMoon.com, I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E, Moon.com. We're going to jump right in this, Tyler. We did enough chit-chatting on the last <laughs> show. Fair enough. <laughs> Dangerous asked, what newcomer to the team this spring has you most excited? Man, that's actually a tough question. I assume Alex Fontenot doesn't count because he was on the team last year. So Yeah, I would say that's cheating. Yeah. All right. So, man. I'm going to throw mine on. You okay, yeah, go for it. I'm going to go with Davion Taylor. Yeah. Once his intellect in terms of understanding his responsibility and the defense catches up with his speed and athleticism, that's literally what you want in that buffbacker role. Yeah, I think he has a chance to be extremely special. So that would be high up there. I was thinking Mustafa Johnson is the one that stuck out the most to me, almost only because that position has to be better or this program doesn't get where it wants to go. Uh, we, like we talked about on the previous pod, I think this team runs with – the offensive and the defensive lines. Do those things improve? It doesn't matter who else comes into the fray, honestly. I think this is an eight-win team, a nine-win team, if we are serviceable in those two areas. So to me, having him come in to hopefully shore that up is can have the most impact on the team. Maximus Buff asked, how will the offense fare under Darren Cheverini versus his predecessor? Of course, his predecessor was Brian Lindgren, who moved on to Oregon State. I will say the one thing is I definitely don't expect them to finish second to last in the conference in scoring offense again this year. Yeah, I mean, I, hopefully not. <laughs> that would be a pretty big disappointment, I think. 
I think the real answer, honestly, though, is we don't know because you always have these preconceived notions about how often that offense is going to be, and we're always wrong. <laughs> and so I think we just not need to see it play out. And again, I keep harping on this. If the offensive line doesn't play well, I'm not really sure the play calls matter. Uh, not as much as you want them to. So we got to be better, a little more dominant, physical, and then I think everything will kind of play its way into shape. When you look at these two coaches, obviously there are some differences that are very clear. Mm-hmm. Brian Lindgren, very cerebral. At times, did he overthink things? He did, right? Yeah. At times, at least. You could debate what percentage mm-hmm. of the time he did that. Darren Chevrini's not going to do that. They're going to run up tempo. They're going to get the ball out on the edge. They're going to try to tire out the defensive line. They're going to try to keep it going up tempo so the other team can't substitute. That's going to be the way they're going to run things. Now, mm-hmm. that's going to result in some turnovers. At times, you're probably going to want to pull your hair out. But generally, it's going to be a more entertaining offense to watch right yeah I think especially at home they're going to try to use that altitude to their advantage to tire some teams out use the crowd you know the crowd has a way of fatiguing your opponent too Um, it's tough to play against not only a team and a crowd if you get a little bit of momentum I do think one of the good and bad things about Chevrini's offense is if it's clicking they're gonna dominate they're gonna dominate quick like they're you could be up 14 or 21 nothing before you figure out what's going on the problem is if you run into a roadblock it can fall apart pretty quick too. Uh, you need to be in putting yourself in those third and short situations, be able to run up tempo to get your offense moving. You're trying to run a lot of plays. If you fall behind, if there's a sack, if you you know drop a pass that you need, it becomes a lot tougher to run that offense because you need those continuous fast-paced motions. Yeah, we're going to see more up tempo, but I will say you're, it's not like they're reinventing the wheel. It's not like yeah, you're going to see a lot of the same concepts that you saw mm-hmm. in recent seasons. P.A. Buff asked, is the one-year contract for Gary Bernardi, when all the other coaches have multi-year deals, a clear indication that this is his last year? No. It's a clear indication that he's older than all the other guys on the staff. He's going he's to turn 64 in September. And it's a year-to-year thing with him. I mean, we try to make this every year. We try to find every little loophole for it to be his last year. We always try to do this. I think at this point, the answer is no. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but a clear indicator, probably not. Right. I will say Gary Bernardi's name is coming up with recruits quite a bit this recruiting cycle. Have you noticed that? Yeah. I wonder if they're like telling guys to talk about Gary Bernardi. I just can't imagine that all of a sudden he's like, all right, now I'm recruiting guy now. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, if he lands some of these guys, the perception of him might change a little bit. Poplowski, I mean, baby. Poplowski, he brought in what the Chaminade guys, Rick Gamboa, yeah. Chris Bounds. I'm trying to think. He's recruited some guys. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, he's coaching tight ends, which is not the most integral right. position. You want that guy to just be dominating the recruiting trail. BR Buff asked, will Cheverini use the tight end for pass catching or only as a blocker in his offense? So you're going to see the tight end all over the place in this offense because when I was talking to uh, Gary Bernardi about the challenges of Darion Jones learning this offense – he said well, part of what makes it challenging is that throughout the course of a game, their tight ends could line up in six different places. So it's it's not going to be just pass catching. Right. It's, they're going to be moving all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I think it, the answer is as simple as if Darian Jones figures out the offense, yes, they will use the tight end in pass catching situations when he's on the field. And if, when, if Jared Poplowski is healthy. is healthy, yeah. They'll use him a little. But, I, I mean, I think if, if you get Darren Jones to a point where he's comfortable with the offense, that's the guy who's going to see a majority of the pass-catching options. 
Poplowski a little bit more so. And then Bounds will get a few here and there, especially in some misdirection type stuff probably. But he's a guy they feel really comfortable with blocking. PA Buff asked, will Virginia Tech grad transfer running back Trayvon McMillan rise to the top of our tailback position? Well, we don't know yet. Um, we haven't seen a whole lot of him. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's the expectation. Uh, if Alex Fontenot starts over him, he's really special. So I think either no matter what happens, that's a good it's a good problem to have. Darian Hagen's comments on the fact that Alex Fontenot still has a lot of room for improvement in terms of pass protection makes me feel like yeah. it's a certainty that, that McMillan's going to come in. I mean, obviously this guy that rushed for over 1,000 yards in the ACC, watch the YouTube clips of that kid. He's a pretty special talent. He's kind of similar to an Alex Fontenot. They haven't had that kind of lanky, versatile running back, it seems like, in a really long time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, based off – Based off all that, I'd be shocked. I mean, he's obviously got to show up healthy with the right attitude, but I've interviewed him enough times to – you can tell McMillan's a guy that is really focused. He, I mean, he sees this as an opportunity to try to get drafted. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he's going to have a lot of eyes on him. Pac-12, there's a lot of scouts watching the offenses in that conference. So, And I think he will fit really well. It looks like he, as a pass catcher, he's a pretty yeah. valuable guy as a, mm-hmm. as a running back. Blue Sky Buff asked, other than Steven Montez, do we have a quarterback on the roster that can be a great Pac-12 quarterback and could get drafted? Who was the last CU quarterback to get drafted? What year? Thanks. So uh, Yeah, I thought it was the case, and I looked it up, and it was Coy Detmer was the last CU quarterback drafted back in 1997. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, Tyler, a baby born that year can drink right now. (laughs) Yeah, Tyler Hanson... (laughs) Was not drafted, but did make a practice squad for a year. So that happened. The Bengals, right? Yeah, he was on the Bengals. So that was the last guy, I guess, to get a real NFL shot. Well, Lufau um, did a little bit. I mean, you, yeah, you yeah, never I expected guess. him to stick. But. Yeah, he didn't He didn't make – he wasn't on the practice squad for the year like Tyler Hansen was throughout that entire season. But, yeah, he had a chance in camp. I mean, yeah, I think all of them have a chance to be pretty good Pac-12 quarterbacks. Honestly, I feel probably the most – confident in Tyler Lattle and Blake Stenstrom. I don't know if I would say stature-wise any of those guys besides Montez are likely NFL quarterbacks, though. I think Tyler Lattle has the most, like, he screams the most NFL quarterback in terms of just his arm talent. Uh, but it's way too early to say right. that. I mean, yeah. we've seen four open practices with – well, no, I guess he was on campus last spring, too. So we've seen, what – Five, five yes. practices with him. Yeah, one, one extra, baby. <laughs> you don't want to get too ahead of yourself, but Ty Evans, man, just well, right. the vibe you get around that kid, yeah, it I mean, that's, sounds like he's going to be something we special. Got, we, we don't even have him on campus for another, like, 18 months. I know, right? So. <laughs> All right. Nippus13 asked, with limited exposure, what are your initial impressions on the difference between Quan Drake and Jim Jeffcoat? Jeff Coates seems like a very likable guy, but it seemed like either his coaching didn't show on the field quickly enough or he just struggled there in general. I'm looking to see what strategies are different between the coaches. Energy seems a lot higher with Drake. Any other obvious differences? That's end of his question. I will say one thing. I mean, if, if you're not recruiting the talent to the D-line, there's only so much coaching up you can do, right? Right. I think I that think, was more the Jeff Code issue. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say, too. I don't know if it was necessarily a hands-on coaching issue more than we just didn't get the level of talent that was necessary to be successful with him manning that position. So the recruiting issue is a bigger for me than the overall coaching issue. 
I mean, Jordan Carroll and Samson Kapavalu and Josh Tupo got a lot better while they were here. So I'm not going to take that away from Jim Jeffcoat. It's just a matter of finding guys that are talented enough to play. Yeah, and a lot of those guys you mentioned were recruited by the Embry staff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And then he had to coach those guys up. Uh, I mean, he is right about the energy thing, Drake is next level in terms of having energy on the field. I think both guys are likable for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just didn't get as much success out of that recruiting as we needed from Jeff yeah. Coat. I actually ran into Jim Jeff Coat recently, and, I mean, he, he is a really nice guy, and, and you hope he – I don't know. He might be at the point now where he can just retire. Who knows? But, I mean, in terms of kind of some obvious differences, well, there's there's it's clear. Jim Jeff Coat can walk into a defensive line room and say – I was an All-American college. I had over 100 sacks in the NFL, a two-time Super Bowl champion. Listen to what i got to say. I've been there, done that. Mm-hmm. And you expect guys to kind of go, okay. And he has that physical presence about him. Like he does. You, you he believe does. that he had 100 sacks in the NFL just by looking at him. He yeah. is he is a big man. Versus Quan Drake, he didn't play in college. Right. His approach is, let me connect with these guys and get them to trust me, get them to buy into me, and, and see that I really care about you as a person, and then you're willing to buy in. It's not the, let me show you a Super Bowl rings. And he, he's smart in that he teaches a lot of technique, things that, you know, an average Joe can learn. These are the things that you're supposed to do when you're a defensive lineman. But as, as compared to Jim Jeffcoat, it's like, athletically, he can show you how to be a special defensive player, and obviously Quandrake probably won't be able to do that, but he can get all of that nuanced stuff that, you know, those little things that people don't really see, the casual fan doesn't see, uh, that makes you a better player. And he focuses on that stuff, which I think is smart. You know, he, he's aware of where he came from and how he can help improve yeah. a player. I mean, seemingly across all sports, great coaches weren't always great players right. and vice versa. Yeah, but you can't pretend like, that you were a great player or know how to be like a special athlete if you didn't come from that background, you know? So you have to be able to, you know, have a little self-awareness, I guess, about how you can teach these kids. BR Buff asked, how much of a difference do you see Jalen Sammy and Terrence Lang making on defense? Uh, I would say more so in 2019 than 2018. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, Sammy, everything you hear about is that, oh, yeah, he looks big. It's like, well, yeah, we already know he was big. It looks so, like he's 35 years old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see about on-field production. I'm not really ready to quite go there with him yet. I think Terrence Lang is a freak athlete, and if it all comes together, he has a chance to be impactful this year. He obviously has more upside, but I agree with you. I don't. None of, these dudes aren't going to be all conference this year. That's, I feel yeah. pretty confident there. And Sammy had a little bit of a knee injury at the end of spring ball. It doesn't sound like it's a, a torn ACL or anything, but they haven't. Uh, the last meeting with McIntyre, they weren't 100% sure. It sounds like an MCL. With Lang, Quan Drake said he's the, like you said, the most physically gifted guy we have in that room. McIntyre said that he flashed here and there, but just there's no consistency with him quite yet. Yeah. King KB asked, I'm curious what you guys make of the claims from some of Dante Sparacco's family members that there could be a number of defensive transfers from the 2017 class. My instinct isn't to put too much stock into it. It looks like a good number of defensive recruits from that class will be seeing meaningful playing time this year, but given their potential impact on the program, it certainly gives me some heartburn. Were these projections just sour grapes or something we should keep an eye on? 
Outside of that, I haven't heard any rumblings. That's all I mean. All I can really say. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll you chime in here. I, I mean, I I would lean towards that's probably sour grapes based on what we've seen from his history, and you know that's a bummer. If he's unhappy, that's cool. I don't think I don't really see where the oh, it's not just me that's unhappy. Like, how does that help anyone? Like, you're just trying to stir up controversy. So that's irritating to me, and I'll pretty much just leave it there. If he wants to go play somewhere else, go, you know, we wish you the best of luck. You don't need to try to drag down other people with you. Castle Rock Buff also asked about Dante Sparacco. He asked, I'd like to know what schools or conferences Mike McIntyre won't release Sparacco to. Has he dropped out of school? Obviously, that's a moot point because he's going to play at Montana State where his father, Dino Sparacco, played in the early 90s. Uh, he's not dropped out of school. He's got to finish the semester, which will about another month, and then he'll he'll move over there. Mm. Br Buff asked, "Will we see new starters at cornerback? The competition seems tough. I could see some surprises there personally." We talked about Chris Miller's emergence on the last show. If I put a gun to your head and said, "Tyler, you got to tell me who you think are going to be the starting corners when they kick off the season against Colorado State," who are who are the two guys? It probably would be Miller and Wiggly right now. Uh, I mean, I, so I guess the second part of the question is, though, would, would there be any surprises there? And the answer is no. There are three guys. That no, Delroy Abrams Jr. Is, I mean, you think, you think he'll be? I just know the last practice I saw him at, he had four picks. Hey, that's pretty legit. Or three picks. Yeah, so I, mean, yeah, I, I mean, I guess even even him wouldn't qualify as a huge surprise to me. I think they feel pretty good about their depth there. and. Uh, there'll probably be an injury. There always is at corner at some point throughout the year. So I don't think anything would surprise me between those three and, a, and I guess if you include Abrams, four guys. My hierarchy right there, right now, is number one, Chris Miller. Number two, Trey Udofia. Number three, Delrick Abrams Jr. Number four, Dante Wigley. Nice. So we'll see. R- Ralphie's running asked, which Juco has the largest impact in the 2018 season? Can I pause you for one second? Yeah. If that was to be the case... And when you were concerned about safety death, do you think there's potential that they would put Dante Wigley back? I think he could play that role. He's not quite the fluid hip-type corner that you're used to seeing in this program. And I think he's big enough that if they needed to put him back there, that would be kind of interesting if that was the direction they went. Yeah. Ralphie's running ass, which Juco has the biggest impact in the 2018 season? When did people start asking (laughs) six-part questions? (laughs) <laughs> well, we broke up a lot of those six-part questions uh, for the sake of me being able to catch my breath in between questions here. In terms of the JUCO with the largest impact, you talked about him earlier. Mustafa Johnson's my guy here. Yeah, I just think the the upside as to what he could be for this program, not in terms of his talent, just where he plays, I think, is the biggest. And you could say Davion Taylor. I think both of those answers yeah. are kind of interchangeable with those two questions. Yeah. Buffet asked, how do you stack rank the Pac-12 coaches? The new coaches have a solid body of work to rate and overall are an upgrade. Not in some places. I'm, I don't know what the hell Herm Edwards is doing. Right I love that some people are loving the fact that he's like, we're making cuts. It's like, all right, dude. Like, Yeah, only 45 guys play. I don't know what football program you're running. <laughs> yeah. Well, we saw... What can happen when you run a program like this with John Embry's staff? They try to treat it like a professional franchise, and that blows up in your face. It went extremely well. Couldn't have been better. So <laughs> it's so fun to watch that disaster down there. And 
I will say they did a good job closing out their recruiting class this last year. Arizona State did. Yeah, I mean it's. I'm sure. <laughs> but they, they is, is, it not, is it not just one of those really fun programs to keep one eye on now? I can't stand them, so I can't say that I'm not enjoying it. Yeah. And then what's going on in Tucson? You've got Kevin Sumlin that just won't talk to the media at all. Yeah, it's usually a good sign. Your first spring, that's how you're going to start things? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. He's he's had a – I feel like he went from being one of the biggest names in football to a total bust pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. you got to say Chris Peterson's number one, right, at this point? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly fair. Um, I mean, I don't know. I – yeah, there's some new talent. I mean, David Shaw. No, I, have, would, I would say number two. Yeah, would be right up there for me as well. Chip um, Kelly, three? Or Kyle Whittingham? Yeah, I mean, Chip Kelly, just based on previous experience, for sure, would have to be up there for me. Kyle Whittingham, I think, is really solid. But, I mean, they just they still haven't done anything. What are you talking about? They go to a bowl game every year. And yeah, they... but, I don't know. They're just, like, the most middling program ever. Like, yes, they have success, and they're pretty good every year, but they haven't really done anything, like, notable. You would trade what Colorado's had for that? Sure, but, I mean, <laughs> I would... Yeah, the fact that I have to think about it, I mean, we did one... We had one... We've had one more notable season than they have in the Pac-12. They've had more notable seasons. Nah, they're like six, seven, and five every year. I don't think you're giving him enough credit. They but Chip Kelly is a perfect fit for UCLA. They haven't won the division. Don't you think Chip Kelly's a perfect fit for UCLA? Yeah, he'll kill it there. And Helton, I think, is honestly a little bit underrated. Okay. They've gone through some It's just hard when you have that much talent to ever get any right. respect as yeah, a coach. Yeah, and he's, he's not as... I don't know. His personality is not Pete Carroll or Lane Kiffin, so I think people kind of forget about him now because he is not that guy for USC. But, I mean, I don't know. They, they've been through a lot in the past couple of years, and people say they disappointed or whatever. I mean, I wish I disappointed and went to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> you know? So where would you rank Mike Leach, Mike McIntyre, and Justin Wilcox? I guess you could throw Kevin Sumlin into that group too, maybe? I would put McIntyre probably... Right behind Leach and then the other two guys after him. Okay. And then I don't think you can really know what you can expect from Mario Cristobal or Jonathan Smith at yeah, this point. not yet. TKH11 asked, what do you know about Michael Lynn? He has three Pac-12 offers. Are the buffs courting him? Michael Lynn is a big 6'7", 280-pound offensive tackle from Cherry Creek. Uh, he's certainly got the size to play Pac-12 football, but Tyler, you and I, I don't... I shouldn't put words in your mouth, but I, personally, I haven't been that impressed with his, especially his foot speed. He's kind right. of a plotter. Yeah, yeah, that's a perfect way to describe him. Um, he also has a baby face, which I shouldn't hold against him, but it just seems like he's not ready to play Power Five. I mean, he shouldn't be. He's still in high school, you know, but he's going to be a developmental guy. I'm surprised to see that he has three Pac-12 offers at this point, to be completely frank. I mean, that's great, and more power to him. I hope he has success, but... Nah, he would not be – I think at best he's the third best tackle in the in Colorado this year. We'll see how that plays out. He's been up to Boulder uh, quite a few times. They just uh, – it doesn't look like right now at least they're going to offer him. But, you know, we've seen CU continue to evaluate these guys, get them on campus in June, and um, maybe they'll offer at some point. I don't know, but I, I wouldn't expect it right now. Sand Buff asked, I have a question about the 24-7 ranking system, specifically with three stars since there are so many of them. Each player has a numeric score next to their star rating. 
Can you define the range for a low, mid, and high level three-star recruit? For example, at Rivals, a three-star with a 5.5 rating would be a good Mountain West type recruit. A 5.6 three-star would be a solid Power 5 recruit. A 5.7 three-star would have offers from top 25 programs. So that's a good question. Now that we've made the move, why are you laughing? It is, I guess. He really is overthinking this right now. (laughs) Like, just split it up into three groups. 80 to 83. Is basically a 5 5, 84 to 86 or 87, 5 6 and 87 to 89 or 5 7. So just oh, like split up. Although I think 89 is technically a four, four star, right? Okay, fine. So yeah. make it through 88. Yeah, no, you're split right. Split it up you're into right. three groups. Don't overthink this too much. <laughs> no, but <laughs> the, lead, the lightest one, 5 5, 5 6. Five, your answer six. is exactly what I had written right. down, but it's it's a good thing to throw out there for people that yeah. used I mean, to kind of rely on that RR. Yeah, just, a, just think of it as low 80s is going to be your 5-5 five, five type of guy. High 80s is going to be your 5-7 type of guy. I feel like both systems could be tweaked to be a little bit better. I've enjoyed doing it for my personal analysis that I do because it makes it really easy to differentiate each of the kids. when you, I'm trying to like put it in a group. You know, you've seen a spreadsheet before. and It's like, okay, this has the best RR rating of mm-hmm. any of the classes like last year's class. I think it was either second or third highest since I started doing the data. Uh, it, it's a good way to determine, like, okay, it doesn't necessarily how how does the rest of the Pac-12 look compared to this. It's how is this class compared to what we've done in the past. You know, I think it's a useful tool. I, I like having it broken out in as many numerical values as possible. Like when we were on Scout and it was three-star. <laughs> it's just like, that is not very specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> The only thing that's unfortunate now is when they did the 24-7 composite, they had four rankings to go off. Now they're down, because Scout doesn't exist anymore, they're down to three. And ESPNs, I don't think you can really rely on. I think it's like one dude, Luganville, that does all their rankings, right? That's not No, I mean, it's not just just Luganville, but... I mean, I would say they definitely aren't as in touch with it as the other sites. I mean, there are, like, guys that commit... And they're not rated for like a couple months on. I think Crabtree's over there now too, isn't he? Not anymore. Oh, he's not. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Br Buff asked: College football news is picking the Buffs for five and a half wins, eleventh best record in the Pac-12. No bowl game. How do you see us as better than that? So those national prognosticators are basing that probably more so. They look at what CU's losing, right, versus what they have to kind of replace an Isaiah Oliver. With the Chris Miller, you know, just the receivers and Philip Lindsay. Yeah, kind of the opposite effect of last year in which everybody was super high on all of our returning wide receivers. And everybody else was kind of like, okay, they should be good. But I think they're probably a little overhyped at this point. And now people are saying, oh, they lost all these wide receivers. They can't replace that when, in fact, I think this year's group is honestly probably better than last year's. It will be. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty that's short answer there. Yeah. yeah. Dangerous asked, where do you predict Isaiah Oliver getting selected in the draft? Philip Lindsay should be drafted, but do you think he will? Uh, I predict that Isaiah Oliver will be drafted lower than he should, like pretty much every other CU guy. Philip Lindsay should be drafted. No, I don't think he will be drafted. If I had to guess on Isaiah Oliver, I would say first half of the second round. Okay. He's not going any lower than that. I mean, who knows? Cheeto went a lot lower than I expected last year. So, I mean, you just never know. But no one was saying that Cheeto was potentially the best cornerback in the draft. There are some people saying that about Isaiah Oliver. Yeah. I mean, but there were, there was 
rumors that he had been guaranteed a first-round pick last year about this time and ended up almost into the third round. So who knows? He's going to get paid regardless. He is, and he – listen, if Akella Weatherspoon can walk into the NFL – I mean, I was extremely high on him last year, thought he would go about as high as he did and said that during the middle of the year. So if he can go in and start, guess what? (laughs) Isaiah Oliver's going to start too. Dangerous asked, are concerns about lack of media availability at practice being relayed to Rick George? Is there anything fans can do to open their eyes to the importance of the bridge between the beat media and diehard fans? And by their eyes, he means Rick George, I assume, rather than the fans' eyes, just to clarify. But Rick George, he's aware of the situation. Yeah. And he's on the side of the, the beat media in terms of us having access. Um, but, I mean... You're in a tough spot as an athletic director. You can't force a head coach to let people in, right? I mean, I guess not. <laughs> I don't know. This this topic is not, my, fav- out not my favorite, and I don't enjoy it. It makes me upset. So, <laughs> McIntyre said that he was burned by having open practices, um, but we won't get any more than that from him. How? <laughs> Dude, I, whatever, man. <laughs> Burned by the guy that you invited to practice this year. <laughs> Whatever. You didn't like Todd Graham being at practice? I don't care. I, I didn't care then, and I don't care now. Like, Why is it a big deal? I will say that was almost a vomit-in-my-mouth type of situation when I saw him there. Here's the thing, dude. Like, If we lost that game because of what Todd Graham saw at practice, that's on you, not Todd Graham. Like, There's no reason that what he saw from practice should be the reason you lose a game in October. And we're speculating there. I mean, there's just rumors about all that stuff. But uh, is there anything the fans can do to open the eyes? Uh, I think just continuing yeah, to keep, yeah keep harping on it and uh, you know you know yeah obviously I want you to be able to say look it helps me too and I enjoy going and we want that to be available to the fans too. But keep harping on the fact that the coverage is something that you need. You want, you know, accessible coverage, accurate coverage. I mean, getting coverage from one, you know, from one spot is not the best, in my opinion. You like to see differing views, and I think that's good and healthy for everybody involved, as long as you're not divisive and, you know, I'm not sitting here saying I want to say crappy things about the program, because I don't, but I want to be able to speak candidly about the program that you are supposed to be covering. Yeah, I mean, if they said, okay, you're welcome into practice and here are the guidelines like they do with sure. men's basketball, I mean, no one's going to break those rules because if you do, then that's just kick you. them out. You that's know what I mean? You. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm a diehard Celtics fan, and this is in no way meant towards, towards a shot towards Neil Welk, but I'm not going to Celtics.com for my Celtics news. I'm just not going to. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect example. Like, yeah, I mean, Neil's just doing his job to when we all get that. And he's going to obviously paint a more positive picture because he should. He works directly for CU. But, he, I mean, he could be – it could be the total opposite. I don't want to make it like, oh, he's a sunshine pumper. Because if, if his job was to say only negative things, I would say the exact same thing. It would be nice to have a differentiating opinion. That's it. Yeah. All right, we'll move along. Maximus Buff asked, how do you see football and men's basketball training right now? Is there significant pressure on Mike McIntyre to make a bull this fall or Tad Boyle to make the postseason next spring? Who do you say is under more pressure? McIntyre, it's not even close. <laughs> I, do, I do think he probably needs to make 
a bowl this year. And honestly, I think he, he would probably get fired, but I think he'd be fine with it if they don't make a bowl at this point. I mean, that if, if we struggle enough that we don't make a bowl, I think this relationship will have probably worn itself out. At that point, you're talking about not going to a bowl five of six right. years. Yeah, and he, he would be not that happy. I don't think Rick George would be happy. The fan base is not going to be happy. This is just one of those things where he had – he, a great thing happened, and we all had a great time with it, and the program is set up for the success in the future way better than before he got here, and we get all of those things, but it's no longer working. I think that's where we are with the football program this year, if that pans out. The basketball program, I think Tad needs to make the NIT show progress, there because there's no excuse to not with what you have coming back. The NCAA tournament would be a worthy goal, I think reasonable goal too, uh, but he, I mean, you would have to... I just don't. I there's, no, there's really nothing that could happen I next season by itself that would get. Him I can't. Fired. Yeah, I can't continue to have this conversation. Dan Boyle's not getting fired. So, yeah, if they don't go to an NIT next year, then there's maybe a conversation right, that, that would be takes surprising. place next year. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, not with all that they have coming back. Yeah, we've got one more question in this mailbag, and it's good because these are kind of football versus basketball comparisons. And then our next show is going to be a basketball only show. Black and Gold, Josh asked, comparing Tad versus Mike McIntyre and the programs as far as recruiting, which program would benefit more jumping up a level? Say from a C to a B <laughs> or B minus to B slash B plus, if that's more accurate. What would that look like and which program is more likely to make that jump given the relative in-conference competition? Does it matter that Tad jumping a level would mean a likely Sweet 16 versus Mike McIntyre would mean making a bowl more often? This is a confusing question, so why don't you answer I and think, I'll peg off you. Okay, <laughs> if I'm reading this correctly, he's saying like between these two programs, if the recruiting just took a little bit of an uptick, which program would benefit more from that? I think yeah. that's how I'm reading it. Okay. And I would probably say... Football in Mike McIntyre because, like, you need to have really good class depth and you need to have every position to be serviceable. If you have a weakness in football, the other team can game plan to exploit that. Right. In basketball, you get a McKinley right. You can kind of hide some weaknesses more so in well, that sport. it's less of a position sport. So if you don't have a good power forward, fine. You just go smaller. Right. You know, like in, in football, you can't just put a cornerback at defensive end. That's not going to work out. So largely I agree with you. I will say it's it's almost easier to jump up a level in basketball, though, because it just takes one guy. All you have to do is get McKinley right, and all of a sudden your recruiting looks a hell of a lot better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's much easier to impact your program more significantly with one big player in basketball, but it's probably more important to do so in football. Because in basketball, there's a lot of ways to win. And all of the best players, there are a lot less good players in basketball. And they all go to the same 25 teams every year, pretty much. So there, you have to find other ways to win. And Tad has done a good job finding that. So, so I think, I guess I agree with you overall that in football, it would be beneficial more long term. Fortunately, it's not... Either or. I mean, they're separate programs. You could yeah. have an uptick in both. Right, yeah. That's a wrap on our Mailbag Podcast, which was brought to you by EverPillow from Infinite Moon. It's ever customizable, ever comfortable, and everything you could want in a pillow. 
they did their research and sourced the best natural materials for you for the best price. Oh, and it's ridiculously comfortable. When your new Everpillow arrives, it will come with a drawstring bag to store your extra fill so you can customize the loft and shape to give you the perfect spinal alignment. Why not customize your pillow and say goodnight to kinked necks and morning aches and pains? Everpillow, made by us, perfected by you. Use GoBuffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. Go to InfiniteMoon.com. It's good to have a sponsor on the show. Yeah, man. It feels great. Are, of these it feels three, weird, but it feels great. So we, next up, we got to record this men's basketball podcast, which we'll release in a day or two. Which of these three are you most excited about in terms of podcasts? Which podcasts? Yeah. Probably football. Football. Mostly, though, in my defense, the be- well, I did, we did free ball last night, and it was with Ben Burroughs, so it was two hours of oh, wow, okay. <laughs> recapping basketball season, so I've done that already. So I'm just like, let's talk about football. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Well, that was it for this mailbag show. Thanks for tuning in. I traded my youth for no suit and jacket. Oh,